Okay, and so on Father's Day, we are going to continue in the series that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, and it is about the things that Jesus didn't say. Things that Jesus didn't say. You know, earlier this week, my youngest son asked me, could he have a biscuit out of our biscuit tin? We, like you, we have a tin in the house where all the chocolates, the Kit Kats, everything are kept. He said, can I have one? I said, no, you can't because I'm about to put the tea out. Only a few moments later, he was walking through the hallway of our house eating a packet of crisps. And I said, Sol, who said you could have crisps? And he looked at me just so confidently and he said, you did. I said, I did. When did I say you could have crisps? He said, you said I couldn't have a biscuit, that must mean I could have the crisps. And I was looked at this kid in amazement, like, how did you get that from our conversation? But it kind of got me thinking, it's a little bit like what we do with Scripture. We fill in the gaps of what we think God is saying or what we think Jesus is saying. We just kind of like read one synopsis in one area and then we fill in the rest of what he must mean. So therefore, when God said, thou shalt not commit adultery, he didn't say you couldn't have a blooming good look. Therefore, having a good look must be all right, all right? That's what we do. God said thou shalt not kill, but he didn't say you couldn't slap them around the face a few times if they get on your nerves. So therefore, giving someone a good shoe-in must be okay so long as I don't kill them. And we begin to fill in the gaps. But what happens when we fill in the gaps with our presumption and our own understanding, we end up putting our thoughts and our opinions into Scripture and quoting the Word of God in a way that it is just not written. We begin to say things that Jesus never actually said. Today, if you're looking for a title for today's message, I've called it Me and My Big Mouth. And we are going to look at what Jesus actually did say in and around the mouth, because he had plenty of things to say about our mouths. You see, Jesus understood that in the same way a huge ship is steered and maneuvered by a tiny little rudder, so too are our very lives directed by this tiny little muscle in our mouths called the tongue. And he knew that whatever we speak, that is the direction our life ends up going. Your words are always a prequel to what you end up doing in life. And so there was this scenario in Matthew 15, where Jesus and his disciples get into a bit of a tete-a-tete with the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that day. And um, the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus out. They're trying to trick and trip up the disciples with the law of, uh, of that time. And the, what they end up saying to Jesus is, hey, Jesus, you know, your disciples, they don't ceremonially wash their hands in the right way before they eat food. And by the way, the food they eat, I'm not so sure it's kosher. I'm not so sure it's ceremonially clean food that they're eating either. In other words, they were so bound by the law and the tradition of the day that they believed that if you ate wrong types of food, it would contaminate you and it would make you an unclean person. And Jesus answers the Pharisees by saying this in 
Matthew 15, verse 11. He says, what truly contaminates a person is not what he puts into his mouth, but it's what comes out of his mouth. That's what truly contaminates a person. He goes on to say further on in that scripture, he says, whatever enters the mouth eventually does leave the body. But what comes out of the mouth reveals a person's heart and can contaminate many if what comes out of your mouth is not wholesome and not right. So in this time that I have with you today, I want to have a look at six things that we can use our mouths for in a negative way. Six things that we can say that can um, displease God. Six things, six uses of our mouth that we could use our mouths in such a way that it can contaminate the people around us. Six things that we can use our mouth for that can wreak havoc in our own lives. Six things that we could use our mouths in such a way that it would stop us getting close to God and have an adverse effect on our relationships, on our friendships, on our church life, in the stewarding of our finances. And so my prayer this week is I've really been asking God that wherever we identify ourselves in any one of these six things, that you would have the grace of God to make some wise choices for your life and to be able to bring correction and discipline to your life where it is so needed. Because hey, I've gone through this list and I know where I can find myself. So let's not sit here today and be thinking of the person to our left and the person to our right and oh yeah, she's that one and he's that one. No, 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 no. This is between you and God and this message today is not to bring condemnation but it is to bring a conviction because we serve a holy God and he has given us responsibility over this mouth. And so, as we go through this list, let's just see what are the things that can separate us from God. Because Isaiah 59 tells us that when corruption is on your lips, it withholds the hand of God from blessing your life. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to be blessed by God. So the first one is lying. Lying is a way that we can bring... um, speak contamination. Lying is a way that can separate us from God. Proverbs 12 says the Lord detests in the lying, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Okay, Jesus didn't say there is such a thing as white lies. Jesus didn't say there is such a thing as small lies and big lies, and neither did Jesus say you can lie if it gets you out of a sticky situation. Jesus didn't say that. The Lord detests lying. There is no middle ground. There is no slight lie and no white lie. You are either telling the truth or you're not. It is black and it is white. Now the Bible is very clear to us on the character of God. And sometimes when you don't know how to fill in the blanks and you're not sure of what God would say over a situation maybe that you're going through in your life, the best thing that you can do is get to know the character of God. 
Get to know who he is. Because once you know who he is, you know what pleases him. You know what displeases him. Luke is my husband and, 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 and I know his character. So I know things that he likes and I know things that he dislikes. And the Bible is really clear in the book of Psalms. It tells us how when people revere and love the Lord, it pleases him. And then in the book of Numbers, it says when people were grumbling and complaining, it displeased the Lord. But when it comes to the area of lying, the scripture tells us God detests the lips of those who lie. And the reason God detests it is because it is completely opposite to the nature of who he is. You see, God does not just tell truth. God is truth. He is the truth, the life, and the way. And so when you tell untruths, you are completely misrepresenting the character of who God is. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever had somebody misrepresent your character and they've portrayed you in a light that is just not true of who you are. It infuriates you. You see it, don't you, on the movies when people are, uh, are up in court and they've taken the stand and the prosecutor comes to cross-examine them and begins to paint them in a light that is not true to who they are. It's not how it was and it's not how it happened. And you begin to feel the sense of anger. I am being misrepresented. Well, every time we speak out something that is untrue, then we are misrepresenting the nature of God. And I don't know if you know this or not, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian or visiting church for the first time, you may or may not know this, but when you were born, you were created in the image of God. But when you got saved, when you became a believer, when you became a Christ follower, you took on the likeness of God, which is his nature, his traits, his personality type. So we have a responsibility to represent God upon the earth. And so any time that we are found to be telling untruths or telling a lie, we are misrepresenting who God is and he hates it. And do you know who you represent God to be in your life becomes the yardstick by which your friends and your family make their assumption on who they think God is. So their salvation story and their invitation to church all hangs on your representation of God. So we can't be found to be a people of lying lips. It is so quiet in this room today. I don't like the quiet. Okay, the second thing that can separate us from God and the second thing that can bring contamination into our world and the people around us is being a sower of discord which might be a bit of an unusual statement. You might not have heard that phrase before, but let me take it out of the Bible context and let me tell you what the dictionary says, uh, the definition of a sower of discord is. Discord is a lack of harmony between people. Okay, a sower of discord will say and do things which cause a group of people to distrust one another. He or she will stir up trouble and provoke arguments. 
Usually, the sower of discord will act innocently as if he or she is not trying to cause trouble and trying to cause arguments. Sowing discord is something that people do in whispering and in sneakiness, in secret and deceit. They sow these seeds. Now, let's take it to the Bible. Proverbs 16 says, A dishonest man speaks strife, and whisperers separate close friends. You know, the phrase, a sower of discord, is interesting to me. Because it was, the word sower was taken from a, a farming um, analogy. Jesus was using a farming analogy here. And he was saying, in the same way that a farmer sows seed, so does a, disc, so does a sower of discord sow out his words. You see, a sower of discord is slightly different to a gossiper. A gossiper will come to you with information about something. But a sower of discord won't. A sower of discord will just come to you and just drop some little bits of thoughts into your thinking. And wherever the seeds land, whomever the seeds land on, that's where they'll take root. So sower of discord will say to you things like, did you see the way he was looking at her? And he's married. He shouldn't be looking at her like that. And you're like, well, I've never actually thought he looked at her in a funny way, but actually now you've said it, I've started to think like that. A sower of discord will say, did you see the party on Instagram they were all at? I wasn't invited. And neither were you. But you've not actually thought that was ever a problem. You didn't think about not being invited to the party. But now, all of a sudden, a seed has been planted and it's got your back up because you were not invited to the party that you saw on Instagram. Well, what about the one who says, what do you think about Life Group last night? I thought so-and-so was a bit off, didn't you? Well, no, you'd never thought so-and-so was a bit off. But now, all of a sudden, your mind's going over time and you're beginning to think, oh, actually, yeah, I think so-and-so might have been off because it's so out of discord, okay? Jesus never said, if you've got an opinion, you get it out there and spread it amongst as many people as you can. Listen to what Proverbs 6 says. Proverbs 6, I find this so interesting. It talks about six things that the Lord hates. Six things that God hates, but it says the seventh one is an abomination to him. Here are the six things. Haughty eyes, lying tongues, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste and run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst brothers. That is an abomination to the Lord. We have got to start to protect our tongue. Can I tell you, can I just tell you this, right? If there is one thing the enemy wants to take root within the church of Jesus Christ, it is a sower and seeds of discord. They will run rampant in the church and I have seen them destroy many a church. Don't let your mouth be a part of those conversations and don't let your ears be subject. Be big enough, bold enough and brave enough to say, stop, I don't need to hear this. 
walk away from the conversation. Okay, and so he talks about, you know, that we, we, it's an abomination to the Lord and that we are not to do it. But here's the thing. I find it very interesting that it is called sowing and not sinning. And here's the reason why. Because your sin, you can be redeemed from your sin. But the Bible says that which you sow, you will reap. So if you become a sower of discord or a listener to discord, discord, disunity, and disharmony is what you're going to reap in your own life. If you are finding ructions and ripples all around you in your workplace, in your family, in your friendship circles, you need to stop and think, what have I been saying with my mouth? Because there's disharmony in so many areas of my life right now. We need to be able to put a stop to it. Okay, we all good. Okay, the third thing that can cause our mouths to speak in a way of contamination is gossip. Gossip. Spreading rumors or facts about someone else. Jesus never said... If you know something about someone, tell everyone. No. If it's not yours to talk about, you shouldn't be talking about it. Proverbs 20. Gossips can't keep secrets, so never confide in blabbermouths. Blabbermouths is in the Bible. Wow. Gossip is taking knowledge or information from one person to another person. Gossip breaks down trust. But this is how we disguise gossip in the church because we've got so clever at it. So I'm just going to tell you this so you can pray about it. I just need to tell you what I know about her so you can pray for her. But the problem is we're doing a lot of talking about it but there's not a lot of praying about it going on. It is gossip. But there should be something so different about the church that sets us apart from the rest of the world. We should be able to hold our tongues. We should be able to hold our own water. And we shouldn't be out there talking about everybody. Listen, this, is, this is just fascinates me. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to the church. Yeah, you know, writing pen, paper, that thing we used to do many moons ago, before we had text messages. He was writing to the church in Corinth, which, by the way, was a church that he'd planted, he'd started. And this is the letter he writes. I'm afraid to come and visit you because I'm afraid of what I'm going to find in the church. Okay. I'm afraid of the state that I'm going to find the church in. And if I find the church in the state that I think I'm going to find it in, then you're not going to like my response. This is the pastor, Paul. I'm afraid that when I come, I'm going to find quarreling, jealousy, anger. This is the church. Selfishness, slander and gossip, arrogance and disorderly behavior. And then he goes on to say this. Here's the problem. You're in the church and you call yourself a believer. It's in the word of God. But many of you have not given up your old ways of living and speaking. 
You're in the church and you call yourself a believer, but so many of you have not given up the old way that you speak and the old nature in which you behave. And Paul goes on to say in verse eight, as the leader of the church, as the pastor, I'm really hoping that you choose to do the right thing. I'm really hoping that you choose to stop speaking and behaving in the ways that you know are dishonoring to God. Because if you don't bring order and discipline to your own life, then I, Paul, as the pastor of the church in Corinth, I will have to address it because this cannot go on within the church. And then he goes on to say something which, trust me, is the heart of every pastor. He says, but I would rather use my God-given authority to edify you and love you and encourage you and bring you on in the ways of God rather than having to use my God-given authority to discipline you and bring correction and order in the church. He's saying, please, people, take ownership of your own life and you sort it out. Okay, the fourth thing in this very silent Anglican church this morning that I want to talk to you about is tailbearing, which is not driving very closely to someone in your car, by the way. Tailbearing, again, is it's different to gossip. Gossipers are informers. They're going to come to you with some information, right? But a tailbearer, and you have to watch the difference, is one who reveals secrets and breaks confidence. Okay, you can, you can be a gossiper because you've never learned to bridle your tongue. You can end up gossiping just because you, 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 you sometimes just because you were born female, let's be honest. You can just be a gossiper just because you can't shut your mouth up because it's just and all the information just comes tumbling out. But being a tail bearer, I'm coming to you guys to so stop laughing, right? There is, there's a, there's a stinger coming for you lot. Anyway, but being a tail bearer is intentional, it is devious, and it is wrong. Proverbs 11 says, a tail bearer reveals secret, secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Okay, the word conceal there does not mean to deceitfully cover up or hide. What that's talking about, if somebody comes to you, okay, to, if somebody comes to you with an issue and confides in you and says, hey, I need help in this area. I've got a problem in my life and I'm struggling. Hey, I'm finding myself watching stuff that I know I shouldn't be watching. I I need you to stand with me and pray with me. I'm coming to you for accountability. Hey, I'm I'm spending money that I haven't got and it's spiraling out of control and I don't know what to do. Hey, listen, I've done this deed and it was wrong and I can't get over it. It's sitting heavy on my shoulders. I need someone to stand with me. Then it is your responsibility as a fellow believer of Christ to conceal 
feel that matter. That means I'm going to put my arm around you. I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to believe your best days are ahead of you. I'm going to encourage you and support you. I'm not going to condemn you. And I am not going to go around the church and talk about that issue that you've come to meet in confidence with. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray to each other so that you may be healed. This is huge, people. We confess our sins to God so that we may be forgiven, but you confess your sins one to another so you may be healed. Okay, this is huge. Confess your sins one to another. It doesn't mean I have to go around the church and tell everybody my issues and my wrongdoings, but find someone who you can be accountable to, someone who is further on in their journey than you, who will come alongside you and be open and be honest with them because it will bring healing to you physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. It will bring health and healing to your body, soul, and mind. We heal when we say, I am sorry. Some of us don't know how to do that. We think, oh, they know I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You heal when you can say, I did something wrong. I'm sorry. We heal when we are able to confess our weakness in confidence to someone else who can help mentor and guide us through this time. The problem historically in the churches has been that we come to church and we share our innermost stuff and before you know it, it is all over the church. But the church should be the safest place for you to be honest with yourself and talk about your stuff. It should be the safest place. You know, when you know something about someone else, it gives you power over their life. When somebody comes to you in confidence and talks to you about something, it gives you power over their life because you now have information about that person that you never had before. You have information that nobody else has because they've come to you in a confidence. But you know how God tests the character of people? It's by allowing them to have power of information over someone else and then watching how they handle it. Do you know why? Because if you can't be trustworthy with the power you have over someone else's life, you will never be able to be trusted with the power of God in your life. So God is watching all of the time. So many people wonder why they're not seeing the power of God at work in their own lives. And often it's because we've never trained our character to be wise. Okay, boys, hello. Well, actually, it does affect all of us, but I just, I've taught on this at Volunteer Night over 12 months ago, and I just thought, let's see them squirm again. Cursing and swearing, all eyes to the front. Jesus never said, do not swear except in road rage. Jesus never said, all language is permissible when they cut you up on the road. And neither did he say, you may use hand gestures when they can't hear you.
Jesus never said that. Romans 3, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Cursing is when you are directing bad language directly at someone or something. The reason we call cursing cursing is because when you curse, you curse. Our mouths were given to us to bless, to edify, not to curse and tear down. When you are speaking to or about another person, if what is coming out of your mouth is not wholesome, edifying, good, and encouraging, I can pretty much guarantee you are cursing. And you may be cursing when you don't even realize that you are cursing. Because cursing is not just swearing, which by the way, whether you swear in jest or whether you swear in anger, it is still cursing. But um, cursing is every time you speak negativity out of your mouth, that is cursing. And you're either speaking a curse of your own life or you're speaking a curse out of, over somebody else's life. Think about it. How many times do you say, I hate? How many times do you say, I won't, I can't? It's negative conversation. You ask any one of my kids what is the biggest thing I've pulled them up about over the years is when they speak down about themselves. I can't, I never will, I never can, I am rubbish, I am a failure. Absolutely you are not. You are not speaking that over your own life. You might not be the best in your field, but trust me, there is something great about you and greatness is upon you. And we have to learn to be careful about the way we speak out of our mouths. What about the person who says, I'm tired all the time? Of course you are because you're inviting it into your world. Words are creative. They don't just blur out your mouth and go nowhere. They do something. God created the world by speech and speaking. What kind of a world are you creating for yourself? I'm skint all the time, just broke all the time. Hello, come on. You might not be in the best financial position right now, but what are you speaking out of your mouth? Stop believing God that work is going to come in and my finances are going to go on increase. What about my backache? Well, if you don't want it, stop calling it yours. You might have a backache, but stop saying my backache. Stop claiming the rubbish that is out there as your own. You can change your life by the way that you just change the manner by which you speak. And now I've lost my place. Oh yeah, here we go. Psalm 109. As he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, let it be far from him. As he clothed himself in cursing as with his garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil to his bones. Let me explain what's going on here. What this means is in the same whale, whale, in the same... In the same way, water and oil do not mix. You can't mix water and oil together. You can't mix blessing and cursing in the same body. So if you're there praying your little heart out for God to bring blessing on your life, but you're speaking out cursings and negativity, forget it. You ain't getting the blessing anytime soon. God says, I've got the blessing and I want to give it to you, but give me a landing ground to pop it in. Because if you are going to be a person who is speaking out curses, then I can't deposit the blessing 
because the two will not go together in the one body. And it amazes me the amount of people that want to be blessed by God, but speak out curses. All the forms of bad language. Colossians 3 verse 8. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Oh, we're going to go there in church. Dirty language. There are words of profanity that should be far from your vocabulary. These words are not banter. It is not funny. It is disgraceful. And it is degrading. Can I just say, if you tell dirty jokes, it's because you listen to dirty jokes. Because whatever you take in becomes what you begin to speak out. Filthy language stirs up lust in the heart. You need to be far from it. Can I just say to all of you guys, it takes a man to be a man and say no. It takes a man to turn off the TV and say, we are not going to be listening to that. We are not going to be watching that. It takes a man to walk away from his group of friends and say, that conversation, that ain't for me. It takes a man to be able to lead his own life well with integrity. Don't do it. It's displeasing to God. It's destructive to your life. Now breathe. We'll we'll move on. Blasphemy is the last one. Blasphemy is when we use the name of God in an unsacred or a selfish way. Exodus 20, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. What do I mean by that? Oh my God has become the most common phrase of the day. Oh my God, we say it when we're happy. We say it when we're sad. We say it, I, I, I am amazed at the amount of people, and I'll be honest, within the church that use that terminology when they're speaking to me and don't even realize it's tumbling out of their mouth. But you know what? Once you're switched onto that way, when you have got a reverence that we serve a holy God, we use that phrase when we're happy. We use that phrase when we're sad. We use it when we're excited. We use it when the dinner's good. We use it when the dinner's bad. We use it when we get a new car. We use it when the car's a load of rubbish. We use it when we love someone. We use it when we hate someone. It's just become an everyday common phrase that we just strap onto everything. We've even started to stick it in abbreviation terms on the end of our text messages. Can I tell you something Jesus never said? When Peter got out of the boat and attempted to walk on water and began to sink, Jesus never said, OMG, you have little faith. He never said that because he knew he's a holy God. And the only time you use his name is in prayer and reverence to him. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. I'm not going to misuse it. I'm not going to make light of it. And even in, in the Christian world, those that, that may not use the Lord's name in vain, we've begun to learn to use the name of God in a very, in, in a very selfish and very manipulative way. Be very aware of the person who says, the Lord has told me. 
I'm telling you, be very wary of that person. I have been saved probably nearly a hundred years. And I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I'm absolutely certain that God has spoke to me. And one of those was when I was ill. At best, you'll hear Luke and I saying, hey, I was praying for you the other day and I felt like God led me to this scripture and if I feel like, I feel like God really would like me to share this with you. Or when I was praying, I really think that possibly God is saying, because at best, we can never be 100% sure. And if you're gonna quote something that you believe that God has said, then you better be sure that God has said it. Because if you don't, you're using his name wrongly. And it says here that you will not go unpunished if you misuse the name of the Lord your God. Can I tell you? Three days before Luke and I got married, three days, a knock at the door. And someone came into our house as bold as brass with a written statement from God. <laughs> it's the truth. To tell us that our union in marriage was an abomination and we should not get married. What would have happened if I was a young Christian or Luke was a young Christian? What would have happened if we believed the word of this person and that was the yardstick? You need to know God for yourself because you need to know when somebody comes and speaks a word from the Lord into your life, you need to know that it is from God. We tore that piece of paper up. I tell you what, I've never seen, been so glad to give, see Luke give someone a good shoeing down the path in all my life. And you know what? We continued with our life. But so many people's lives have been wrecked by people saying, God has said. The church has been destroyed because people have said, God has said. God has not said. I've had people say to me, God has told me I'm to leave this church. I'm like, off you go. Because I'm not going to argue. If you're saying God said, I'm not going to argue. 12 months later, here they are back again because God has said. I'm like, really? Does he not know his own mind? What kind of a God do we serve? These are the things that can prevent blessing of God in your life.